Hello everyone, welcome to LTV Talks. Today we have Tobias or Toby with uh, with us. Toby is the head of CRM at uh, Delivery Hero for for the Europe region. And Delivery Hero, for anyone who might not know, is a German multinational online food and a delivery company based in Berlin. They operate in 70 plus countries across four continents, which is insane. Uh, but yeah, welcome, Toby, to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure Absolutely. talking to you. Absolutely. And it's very interesting to get you on because uh, first, there are not many well-developed CRM teams at companies this scale but what's also quite interesting is how you have progressed from like a junior to a head of crm at this company uh, i would love to know more about your journey there and how have you uh, progressed and you know how have you moved around in the world of crm yeah um sure let's talk about it uh, it's a long story so be prepared <laughs> Um, so I started my journey at the age uh, roughly five and a half years ago, uh, which is a long time considering the industry and everything. Um, started off as a junior um, back then, and I worked for the German market. Uh, for any German listeners, uh, Lieferhelf might be a name. So uh, Lieferhelf, the you know the the red brand with uh, the the superhero, which is by the way the the German translation of delivery hero, which is quite fun. Um, mm-hmm. So I started for 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 Lieferhelf back then, just for for the. For, for the local team essentially and was setting up campaigns for them. But then at some point um, it got sold. Uh, it got sold to Riferando, uh, the competition essentially. And uh, yeah, I was a bit scared because this happened uh, around Christmas time. I think like two days before uh, before Christmas time, I was already on vacation and uh, traveling home. And uh, my manager, uh, you know, called me and I saw in the news that it got sold. And I'm like, yeah, do I still have a job? Uh, and yeah, she confirmed that everything is fine. And uh, yeah, I, I was safe. Um, the big benefit in Delivery Hero is that we've been a very big team in the central team. We've been 23 people uh, working for different uh, for, for different countries or different brands, essentially. So if, you know, if one brand gets sold, uh, and we're going to talk about this later, I think, in the podcast as well, then there's always a chance to also, uh, you know, move to, to a different co- country and work with different stakeholders and, uh, you know, uh, progress in that way. So, yeah, um, mm-hmm. coming back to the story. So I was a junior, uh, started off in Germany. And uh, then I moved over to uh, to support the Nordics. Um, so I was supporting Sweden, Finland, Norway, and I was also doing something with Austria. And uh, yeah, so by the time, like obviously now supporting four countries, you know, a bit more responsibility. I had um, someone uh, in my team as well. I wasn't leading anyone, but I was telling my manager back then that I would really like to lead my own team, that I would really like to develop into like a leading position. Um, and she told me, okay, like, I don't think it's the right time right now. And I agree. Um, but it's, it's good if you mentor someone. So you get your first experience leading, you know, someone. And uh, this was a great opportunity. And I'm like, to this day, I'm very grateful for that opportunity. So I, I was mentoring someone. And uh, yeah, I got my, my first promotion. Um, and then um, afterwards, I also got, got more markets. And that's also because the team structure changed a lot, which I think helps a lot on that journey. Um, because if you have such a big team, especially in the retention team, the structure always changed. So, for example, we had um, we had we have four different regions that we're supporting, right? So we have different managers supporting each of the region. But then at some point, we we consolidated, let's say, APEC and and Europe because of the the infrastructure mm-hmm. of the product. It's it's the same infrastructure essentially, so it made sense to to combine those teams. So there's always room for more responsibilities. Essentially, there's always mm-hmm. a question. Hey, do you want to get more responsibility? And I always said, yes, please let, let me do it. 
Um, so yeah, I was a bit fortunate, you know, that there was so much change and I had so much possibilities to like show, uh, you know, that I can lead a team. Um, and also I think it helped a lot that it was gradually. So I moved from mentoring someone to having a team of two people to having a team of five people. And then, you know, like slowly ramping it up. I think many people, they jump from individual contributor to managing a team of 10 and it's a completely different job. So I think it made it quite easy for me. Um, and then, yeah, the, the move to the regional team, uh, which happened uh, last year in January, was essentially also uh, like a question, like, do you want to remain the central team, which is supporting, you know, globally, essentially more like a consultancy, um, or do you want to go to the regional team? And I said, yes, like, I'm, I've been working with Europe all my life, so definitely I want to be part of the regional team and, uh, you know, have my own team, essentially. So in the end, I think um, it's always a bit of luck because you have to be at the right, like at the right time, at the right place. But also it's obviously you have to, to want to do more. So you always have to say yes to certain challenges uh, and be confident that you can actually do it. Um, and I think the age is just great when it comes to opportunities. So even, even though I've been in the company for five and a half years, uh, it feels like I've already did like 10 different jobs. So it's never boring. You learn some, something new every day. You work with so many countries, so many different stakeholders. And since there is so much fluctuation, you always work with different people and uh, different managers as well. So I learned a lot in, during my time and I'm still not done. So I'm still super enthusiastic about, about the company and I'm still growing every day. That's very interesting, by the way, because also in Berlin, the ecosystem is such that no one stays at the company for five years. Like you must be a rare commodity uh, who stays at a company for five years and still you are quite enthusiastic about doing things for the team. Two things I picked up on, by the way, one is maybe for, for our listeners who might not know uh, how Delivery Hero CRM team is set up, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have, for example, 70 plus countries, four continents, yeah. and as you said, like quite a lot of mergers coming in, sometimes you getting acquired. So there is there are like a lot of shifts happening. How mm -hmm. is the organization structure look like uh, currently for mm -hmm. when it comes to CRM and, you know, it being a part of marketing, for instance? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so we have our headquarter in Berlin, um, which is funny, by the way, because we're not operating in Germany anymore. So it's a kind of <laughs> it's kind of funny to have the headquarter in a country you're not operating in. Um, but we have the headquarter in um, in Berlin, and we have the central team. The central team is operating essentially globally. Um, so we have a central CRM team, like a central retention team. They are mostly um, responsible for um, knowledge sharing, um, keeping track of you know the business, uh, sharing best practices, and also uh, they have a big tech stack, of course. So like many learnings, many, many customer science uh, developments are done on a global scale so that we can use it regionally afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. Then essentially branching out from the, the central team, we have the regional teams. So I'm leading the retention team for, for the European region, but we have the same for MENA, LATAM and for APEC. And uh, they are a bit more in like a hybrid position because they're a bit doing both. So they do the strategy for the markets, but they also do the execution. So this is where the campaigns are getting set up, lifecycle flows are getting created, um, but also the overall strategy is, is aligned and uh, obviously adjusted to the markets. Um, and then in most cases, we have uh, someone supporting us in the local markets itself. So in my case, I'm responsible for eight countries currently, and we have like CRM specialists on the ground. So in, you know, in the headquarters of, of the respective country, and they are mostly helping with um, ad hoc send outs, like if there's a promotion for, you know, like a non-vendor, like McDonald's, Burger King, whatever, or um, 
yeah, helping out with translations, obviously, because we don't speak all the languages, even though mm -hmm. I'm one of the few Germans in the team. So <laughs> it's actually quite fun. Um, so yeah, like this is roughly the structure. Um, the structure depends a bit by the regional team. Um, and I would say mm -hmm. right now, an exception would be uh, Glovo, for example, because Glovo is still operating a bit um, a bit by themselves. So they still do their own things right now. We haven't merged with them from like a CRM standpoint, at least. So we are exchanging with them and sharing best practices. We're using the same tool, right? So we're all using Grace for everything. Um, and yeah, so there's always possibilities to like, you know, share uh, what we're doing, but we are, you know, a bit disconnected when it comes to, to working together. Mm -hmm. Is there, uh, for whenever you acquire a new partner, like Globo, for instance, would mm -hmm. there be a period where the central team would be helping Globo understanding your processes and your ways of working and then sort of integrate them and disperse all activities uh, locally or to the regional teams? Or how does that sort of merger process work as, mm -hmm. as team structures? Because a lot of times with bigger companies... By the way, like I've seen Delivery Hero is one of the biggest or one of the best examples of like such huge companies who use mm. uh, very efficient tech stack uh, like Braze to its fullest capability, right? And there are always these people at Delivery Hero, including you. I remember we met at a meetup long back when we both were yeah. like just starting out, I think. And it's always it always impresses me how... You know, there is some sort of consistency in everyone's thinking of what CRM can do. And I often find it very hard to see that in any other big companies. So I'm curious to understand, like, how do, how do you integrate a new merger, like Glovo, for instance, uh, to your processes, to your ways of working, and then sort of, you know, make them a part of your team? How does that look like? Yeah, um, I think Glovo is maybe not the easiest example because Glovo is already operating in like uh, 25 countries, right? So obviously it's quite different. Um, but I can give you an example of, let's say, like a, like a smaller company, right? So for example, last year um, in, in, I think, January, we bought um, a smaller company in uh, Denmark. So we acquired Denmark. Uh, it was called Hungry Decay. And uh, they had a completely different tech stack. They had their own team, right? A relatively small team. I think like maybe 100 people. Um, they had their own CRM system and everything else. They were tracking things differently. They they were doing different campaigns. Like one simple example is that they mostly using percentage vouchers, and we are usually giving amount vouchers. So simple things like this. Um, and then yeah, so how this starts is usually um, when they get acquired, we just talk to the teams, right? For me, it's always important to understand what they're currently doing, um, where they're heading to, and uh, yeah, like who's working on what, and like what what are they good at because. It's not always that you want to force them to use what you're doing, but it's also an opportunity to also learn. Maybe, you know, they did like they could do something that's better uh, or that, that's that, that's working that, you know, we, we're not doing. So I think it's also a big learning opportunity for us. Um, obviously, they also know the market better than us, right? So it's always very uh, mm -hmm. important for us to listen to them and see, okay, what works in your market and what doesn't, because we're usually mm -hmm. acquiring quite successful companies. They're not usually going for the underdog. Um, but yeah, in that example, we were talking to the teams. We were essentially um, exchanging more on the campaign level first. So like telling them like what we are doing, what they are doing, because the first, let's say, half of a year, uh, it's more like you have to do things in parallel, right? You're not interfering that much. They have to keep the business rolling because if you um, think about the migration, and that's obviously the end goal, right? Like to um, integrate them into your own system to be able to track them as you would do other countries, right? Um, 
you, you you need to give them some time like in the product team to you know scale up to it so what what we did in the crm team we always gave them um a lot of learning sessions as well because we usually need their help um like what's going to change what's going to happen what are the new features um that that you're going to get and what are the features you're going to lose um, there are many things to keep into consideration right so it's also for us very interesting to see what what they're currently doing uh, one simple example is uh usually the voucher tool that they're using currently um, because like our industry is very voucher heavy right for crm maybe that's not in every industry but um if they if they can use vouchers right now they will not be able to use them in the new platform for example so if you already gave out a lot of vouchers then you know people will obviously be mad afterwards if they can't uh, redeem that anymore also voucher capabilities will change um, essentially that's just like a huge list of feature gaps that you're going to have and it's super important to figure those out and to to see which ones are the important ones and which ones are fine if you just inform customers um, in some examples we had a loyalty program for example for the old brand and then you have to you know uh, refund people for the loyalty points that they have for example and then mm -hmm. you have to think well, okay how do i do it do i just send them a voucher but i don't know it's it's not a perfect solution um so you have this feature gap and then you have this huge project which is going to be like a migration where you try to you know uh, merge everything from one platform to the other and trying to sync everything in this example we would you know get everything into brace so you know adjust everything to our platform um, once the migration is done, then, you know, you can train the local team on like how to use Brace, um, what are the new features that you're going to get. And in most cases, they get more options and they have more freedom, but it's also getting more complex for them. So when before they were, for example, quite, you know, quite, quite simple campaigns, they would just send out a campaign to like, I don't know, 100 people. Um, mm. And yeah, and, and that's it. Like now they have possibilities like setting up a canvas and the lifecycle flow. So for them, it's also like a learning experience. But it's also not for everyone. So what we also see is that many of the local teams, um, they would just, uh, you know, lose the company afterwards, right? So for them, it's too much change. So I think they were quite happy with, you know, the space that they're in. So it's not easy on, on many levels, right? So we also had many changes in management and also in the CRM team, um, which then, yeah, is, is usually what happens for migrations. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's always fun. And it's always a learning opportunity for both sides, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, surely. I think it's also quite different when you do it uh with a smaller company and a bigger company and you know i can see why you might stay at, uh, and you might still find it changing so much or the dynamics uh changing so much in the crm team because as you acquire like these small and bigger brands just incorporating them must be like a whole new project and a whole new stream of learning about our work right sometimes when you're training someone it's actually that process that teaches you the most about how you work and your, what your processes yeah. are. Sometimes we don't even look at them. Um, and that's like the next component I wanted to ask you because th there was, you know, there is uh, this mentorship experience that you, that you mentioned. And then now, mm -hmm. of course, you're leading a team. But then there's also like these acquisitions that happen and you, you might have to train a team on not only using the tool, but sometimes also reframing how you think mm -hmm. about you know crm in general mm. uh, this is one thing that our industry at least in my opinion lacks currently if uh, for instance someone wanted to start in crm or mm. even a senior leadership who wants to know how to set up crm teams or how to train crm teams it's mm. a bit of a gray area not everyone knows how to do it um, mm. the blog articles out there are quite fluffy sometimes so uh, so how was your experience and how did you think about 
training and mentoring people in CRM, um, mm-hmm. I would be keen to know your general thoughts on that. Yeah, so I, I would say um, it's, it's an advantage to be in a company for such a long time because I know all the processes. I did everything myself, right? I think that's a bit different if you join a company, uh, for, for example, as a head of CRM and you haven't used the tools and you haven't, you know, uh, like experienced what the, the company is about. I think that was a big advantage for me in a way that I did everything myself. In terms of migrations, for example, I did it myself. Like hands on, I, you know, had to do all the tasks myself. So for me, it was obviously kind of easy to, to you know, train people like what are like the things uh, you have to keep in mind and why are we even doing this and who do you have to talk to um so that was definitely helpful what i think um in the long term was also a bit hindering me away because um in a way because when you started a company and you you know how to do everything by yourself you you tend to forget what's out there so you think embrace when you talk about crm right but you forget so many other things because you only have mm-hmm. this one experience from this one company, this, this this one tool that you're using. So it can also be um, some sort of a trap. So it's very, you know, exciting. And it's also good that, that we're talking and, that, you know, we are so engaging in this uh, CRM community that you exchange with others and get more perspectives on it because you can can get kind of lost in, in your own position and you can, you know, uh, try to, you know, ignore everything that's out there. But yeah, like training a CRM team for me was kind of natural because I did everything myself and I just tried to be the, the manager. I would like to have and i had really good managers mm. so yeah uh, like i don't know michael olga if you're hearing this then yeah kudos to you because i learned a lot uh, on the journey <laughs> and that's super nice uh, one one thing that i found useful is also you know also just like read i i don't know honestly i don't know how to um, how to even think about training someone on crm but i think you're right in terms of being a part of the company and you knowing the processes it comes mm. more really than training someone um just out of context of a, of a specific company right um so yeah. it's even useful to get that experience within a company and get trained uh, slowly and steadily yeah. um makes sense i'm also very fortunate that i have a very good team so you know hiring is super important in crm right so i hired like really good uh teammates right now uh, they are doing the onboarding right now so i don't have to deal with it anymore right so that's that's i think also uh, the, the the big benefit of you know hiring the right people in CRM uh, that are already knowledgeable, uh, keen to learn more, and uh, yeah, so that's that's really good. We have uh, at least in retention, we have a lot of documentation right now. We take onboarding very seriously because I think that it's uh, it's like one of the the, the most important things uh, at all in CRM because CRM is quite complex, right? It's like in between, uh, and I think you had a podcast episode about it, right? It's like in between product and marketing, right? So you have to serve mm. both gods, let's say. Uh, so I think you have to be techy, but also creative, uh, good with numbers. But yeah, then again, you also, you know, need to need to figure out what's the best uh, lifecycle journey uh, from like a customer experience point. So I think uh, it's quite complex, which is like the beauty of CRM, right? And that's why I'm not tired of it. Um, but I think if you find the right uh, kind of people that, that feel the same, then I think it also becomes kind of natural, like curious people that also try to challenge the status quo, right? Because you always have to keep moving. You always have to do something else and you can do the same things all over again by the way this has been such a huge pain point across all the companies that i worked with ever onboarding crm folks is such a big topic uh for so many reasons right like mm. being uh as you said right like it's it's a it's like the backbone of the company so you can you can decide how strong you want it to be uh, where you are integrated with like product and marketing appropriately um, 
to get all the insights, be tech enough, techy enough, or be creative enough. Uh, but also like there's huge components of data measurement and understanding impact, driving business outcomes. Even sometimes I've seen CRM being a big part of the growth team, especially mm-hmm. for subscription apps. That's also more relevant. How, what does your onboarding document look like? Uh, what does it uh, include? It is, it, it is huge. So first of all, I think that onboarding for CRM is obviously always different per company, right? I think that, that this is also the, the difficulties uh, of this because it, there's no blueprint, right? Obviously, you can teach people like, hey, you have to make sure that you, you know, think about the customer first and, you know, like you can have some, some marketing tricks like scarcity and stuff like this, right? You can limit the amount of vouchers you're giving out. You can play with the the MOV combinations to, you know, drive uh, the, the, the basket value and stuff like this. I think this is something you can definitely learn for sure. But uh, in, in general, like this is very specific to, to the company, right? Our document is huge. Like it's, it's massive. It's a lot of different links because we have documentation for everything. What are the voucher capabilities? Uh, you know, what, what should like the, the lifecycle flow look like? We, we try to keep it kind of generic because everything that's too specific is going to be outdated soon. And I think that's also a major pain point for those documentation that you have to update it every time something changes, right? So the more specific it gets, it also means the more you have to review it. And I think uh, no one likes to do it. Like no one likes to document stuff, but it's it's so worth it. Um, so what we did is a bit of a like a like a life hack is uh, we are recording the onboarding sessions because we know like we have so many people joining, right? Essentially, as someone new joining every month from like a team or like just someone that's like curious about CRM because CRM is more than just a CRM team, right? also important, mm-hmm. for example, that the campaign team knows, okay, what can we do via CRM? Like what makes sense via CRM? What are the options in CRM? And I think this is also something I underestimated for a long time because um, we have a lot of ad hoc campaigns, let's say for Burger King, for McDonald's, whatever, but the campaign team can only create good campaigns if they know what we can do. So obviously they could send it to the whole city, but if they know, okay, we have the option to select customers that are into fast food, that are into burgers, that are you know into fries, then we can send it to those guys, right? So you see obviously a performance spike, but it only works if the campaign builders roughly know what CRM is and what you can do. Um, you also have to teach them, and this is also something we have, like a, like a playbook, like how should an, an email be crafted, right? Like how does it look like? Mobile first, like people usually don't go to the desktop. They, they look into the phone first, right? So if you have a huge banner on top, then no one's going to read the message, right? Um, if you have a voucher mm-hmm. in it, like please mention it also in the, the the subject line. So many of those tips, for example, that you also had to give to the campaign managers because the CRM managers in the end, at least in our company, they are just executing. Um, they are just setting up the campaign. Uh, they are scheduling it when it's, when it's supposed to go live, but they're not they're, they're not ideating them. Um, so I think that's that's also a thing. Like you, I, I think if you talk about onboarding for CRM, it depends who you're talking to, right? There are different, many stakeholders, right? So for example, top level management, they don't care that much about the details, right? So you have to trim everything down to like the, the outcome, right? What's the incrementality? Like how many orders did you generate? What was the cost of the campaign, right? And then, you know, you get more detailed and more techy uh, to like the CRM managers when you're talking to them, right? How does a webhook work? Um, how do you use connected content? Uh, how do you use content blocks uh, for the people that know Brace and, and the setup, right? Um, because it's like a whole new topic, right? If you have like a like a huge brace account with so many countries, you have to uh, be efficient in what you're doing because you can't set up every campaign for each of the the brands uh, separately. Otherwise, it's going to cost you too much time. So you have to think efficiently, and it's it's quite technically uh, quite quite techy, like using liquid code and so on. 
So the onboarding really depends on the audience, I think, and our documentation is yeah huge, as you can imagine. <laughs> I've always seen people from Delivery Hero have very high respect for documentation, though. I worked with um, Itor, who is also at Delivery Hero. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, also he, headed he was yeah, yeah. at Glow at uh, some point. Um, and I, I remember uh, yeah, that he... Exactly. Uh, so I always remember him when whenever someone talks about documentation because he always mm. talks before <laughs> you ask something and I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, I think and it, that's across the board, right? And maybe that there's yeah. a reason for that. I think there's so much information that gets uh, lost in these documentation process that if you can train a team to actually respect that and go into it, then it makes also worthwhile yeah. documenting. Otherwise... Um, there's no point, really. Yeah, it is Perfect. difficult. I mean, I mean, onboarding, to be honest, and maybe just like the, the last things about this, like the, the, the onboarding is always better if you talk to someone, right? Usually that's like the, the benefit of it. People are usually kind of tired of like reading stuff, right? They want to work, they want to do something. So they, they don't take the time to actually, you know, watch a video to, um, to you know, listen to, you know, like let's the, the, say a podcast or <laughs> to like read a documentation <laughs> about something, but it's, uh, it's saving us so much time. And it's also just helpful if someone is, is off sick, for example. Um, I have one teammate that's doing the onboarding, but if she's off sick, then no one is doing it. And then I can just tell them, hey, watch the video. So it's super handy. I can just recommend doing it. And uh, sometimes it also helps uh, yourself to, you know, revisit everything because also I get lost sometimes, right? Like I'm not using Braves every day right now uh, as I was used to doing it back then. So I, there are no new features right now and I'm depending on my team as well to onboard me essentially on some things and some capabilities, right? So it also goes the other way around. I think it's, it's, it's good for everyone. Yeah, that's super. Um, I, I remember we mentioned also to just, you know, change uh, topics from training, onboarding and uh, the organization structure at Delivery Hero. I remember there's Delivery Hero has so many brands, right? Like I, I, I'm just looking at the list across different continents and reading out a few names that people might know. It's like Fudora, Talabat, eFood, Food Panda, Glow. Uh, there are some that I can't definitely pronounce. There's yeah. Insta Shop and Foodie and Hunger yeah. Station. So, you know, and we spoke briefly about migration uh, as mm -hmm. well from like these tools. One thing that we, uh, when we spoke about last, you mentioned was also rebranding, right? Mm -hmm. So migration is, I understand, like it's bringing people to your existing setups and ways of working and, you know, also maybe uh, tech mm -hmm. stack wise. But how does that rebranding process look like? Because that's, mm -hmm. that's some, one of your most recent projects as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in the example of Europe, uh, which there have been so many, many different uh, brands and so many different migrations and rebrandings that have also been part of, I think I've done so far like 20 plus migrations slash rebrandings. Um, it's a lot. And maybe, maybe first before we start, just like a, like an explanation of like what it actually means, rebranding and migration, because it might seem kind of similar to, to the listener. So, mm -hmm. um, I would say it's like like even like three different kinds. One of them would be redirect. So for example, um, company gets sold uh, or like your app gets sold uh, and the only, the only like, task that you have right now is redirecting them to a different app. So someone would open your app and then there's an in-app that's like not skippable and it would just you know block the, the screen and it would tell you, hey, you have to go to the app store, download the new app. So that usually happens when there's like a takeover and there's no desire for anyone to you know convert customers over to, to like the new app essentially. 
Um, I would say it's like the easiest one uh, because the product, the product doesn't work, so no one can physically order. So there's no risk, essentially. Um, the other one would be the migration. And we just talked about this, right? So migrations essentially is uh, the most complex one for CRM, for sure. Um, it's convincing people to download a new app, essentially. So you're always at risk of losing your entire user base um, because you have to contact them in the old app, tell them, hey, uh, by the way, we have a new app that you have to download, but there's always a risk that they're not doing it, right? Usually the most loyal customers and the very active customers, they are the first one to move, but you're very prone to like use your in inactive customers or like your occasional customers, right? That might order once per month or something. So it's 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 a lot of work also from a technical standpoint um, because you, you're changing the whole infrastructure. You're changing CRM tools in some cases, you're definitely changing the backend and it also comes with a different capabilities. So we also talked about this with the example of Denmark, but for example, voucher capabilities change, maybe you're losing loyalty points. So it's not always a benefit for the customer, but rather it's just a huge change. Um, and then the rebranding on the surface, it looks super simple. Uh, rebranding essentially just means that on one day you're opening uh, your phone and you can see that the icon changed. Maybe it's just a different color, maybe it's a different brand. Uh, you're opening it, usually the functions are the same, but it has like a different, a different design uh, but features stay the same and you can use the app as, as always. Um, you don't have to download a new app. Uh, it's just a download essentially that happens in the app store. So coming back to the topic, we had uh, a huge rebranding in Europe. So what we did is we rebranded re all of our uh, companies to Foodora in Europe. Um, and they've been, you know, we, we always had Foodora, for example, in, uh, in Norway. Uh, and we also had it in Sweden and in Finland. So for them, it stayed the same. But we still changed the logo with the color. So also for them, we had to change everything essentially. Um, for the other brands as well. So we had Miam for Austria, for example, uh, Damien Gitlo in uh, Czechia and Food Panda in Slovakia and Hungary, for example, which we all had to move to Fudora. The big challenge was also that this was happening on one day, uh, which is insane. Oh. It's so much work. Uh, we had a very tight uh, timeline on, on this rebranding as well. Uh, I think we had the logo in, in February. Uh, and then uh, we had to do the move in in April. Um, so there are many things that you have to um, that you have to take into account. I mean, being at the email template, it obviously has to change. So you know, all the designs that you're using, all the brand the, the brand names that you're mentioning, obviously have to change um, in in all the apps and push notifications and so on. Um, the good part is that you can usually keep the app group. So if you're using Grace, you can keep everything as is. So the data infrastructure behind it is the same. You're using the same deep link and everything. So this always stays the same. The difficulty might just be if you have a different email IP, for example. So for example, we're obviously using yam.net as, um, as our email IP. So we had to do IP warming for fedora.at because we didn't have this one before, right? So this is a bit of planning. This project, we, like, we started with this project in December and uh, we, yeah, we not only did like the rebranding, but also changed the, the, you know, all the infrastructure we had behind the scenes, like how we are using Grace and how we're interacting it. Because for us, it's a huge opportunity. We can use the same templates now in all the markets, right? So efficiency afterwards is, is you know, is everything, right? We can share designs between countries. So that's the big benefit of it. Uh, also like bigger campaigns, they, you know, more, more powerful now because you don't have to go into TV production for each uh, uh, country separately, right? So now you can merge everything and do everything as, as one fedora essentially um so that's the big benefit but um yeah to get there is, is really hard and it's 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 a timing game because um what's also going to happen on the day of the rebranding that's like the actual date when everything happens right uh and this is always a challenge because uh usually web is 100 percent all at once so for example you would go to miam.net today if you stay at that example and you would be redirected to fedora 80 
because we just rebranded, right? But your app might still be miam.at. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit weird. Like it's a weird customer experience. You have to do a lot of education. We had to send a lot of emails, like, you know, educating people that, hey, by the way, from tomorrow or like from next week, we're going to be, we're going to be Fudora. And uh, usually the rollout for iOS and Android uh, is like gradually, right? So it's like 1%, 2%. 5%, then 50% and 100%. So not everyone has the same interface at once. So you have a lot of education to do. Uh, we have to do, let's say like a temporary, like um, like a split um, a split logo essentially in our emails, right? For a certain period of time. Um, because it doesn't only start with promotional campaigns as well. We are also responsible for the transactional campaigns, which means that if you're ordering from, let's say Miam, but you already rebranded, you're going to get a receipt from Fudora. So you have to understand why you're getting this receipt from Fudora, even though you ordered from Miam. So it's like a lot of things you have to think about. Uh, it's a super fun project, but it, it was wild because we did all the countries at once. Uh, it was a massive project. Um, I think I was benefiting, uh, from the fact that I did so many uh, rebrandings before. So this was just a collection of all of them. So it was massive, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's always great if you see that, you know, the, uh, team also in, enjoys doing it and, uh, if it's a success afterwards and it was definitely a success. So, uh, I'm super happy uh, about the design, about everything uh, that we have right now. And uh, yeah, it's just something you don't do every day in CRM. So. Yeah. yeah. I hope not. Um, there's <laughs> also, there's also a lot of things right there. Uh, for instance, you want you mentioned email IP warming, for instance, and how do you go on tackling these changes at a gradual level? So, do you have, for instance, when you know when the new brand is being launched, do you usually sync with the product teams to say this one percent is now having the experience that we are going to have, and so we start sending comms? Is there a sync, or is it more about you know, educating everyone that they might be seeing these changes so that you cover the blanket and then let product do their thing, sort of, you know, how, um, what's the approach? Usually it's quite separate uh, because we're responsible for all the emails, right? So even like, even product is, you know, uh, giving us the, the templates and everything. Uh, for IP warming, um, obviously you have to be warmed up before the rebranding, right? Because even on day one, there's going to be a lot of orders and a lot of emails being sent out, being at the receipt, being at, you know, order confirmations and everything. So you have to be ready when everyone, you know, is, is switching to the new brand. Everyone's going to get the new receipt because otherwise it's going to be too complicated. So it's not that they're making a, like a distinguishing between uh, this 1% has the, the old app, so they are only receiving the, the old receipt. Everyone's receiving the same receipt, essentially. So you have to have this like split logo. Um, what we're doing for the IP warming is usually educational. Because we have to educate customers anyways. We have to let them know that something is changing. Um, sometimes legally, because, you know, they're maybe losing loyalty points. But sometimes just, you know, so we want to make sure that they understand that this change is happening. Uh, maybe highlight some some features that we have. So, for example, we recently launched subscriptions as well. So this was obviously perfect for us because we could tell them already, like, hey, we're going to soon be Fudora. Also, by the way, there's going to be Fudora Pro. So we also could label it as like a new feature and so on. So we have to do this education anyways. Uh, so what we're doing is we're just uh, sending from the uh, new app group to uh, customers that we already have, because again, like the infrastructure mm-hmm. doesn't change, customers remain the same. Um, and we send gradually more and more campaigns to them, like more emails, um, like gradually ramping up. And then on the day of the migration, you have to be ready to cover the transactional communication, essentially. Yeah. So this is both I like think without we... product, essentially. Yeah, got it. The rebranding itself is... Uh... One important thing to note is also like the efficiency gains, uh, not only from yeah. a rebranding, but like using that as an example. Uh, 
if you are using something like brace uh, or actually some of the better tools out there you you always see that there's so much scope for templatizing your uh, formats or things even if you're not acquiring companies if you have for instance uh, templates or idea of how you approach a life cycle flow for, for instance right like a life cycle map uh, what i found useful is also having these foundational crm journeys completely in stone so you know what you know when someone comes to you and says we've launched a new brand like this is what we need to go live with there is initial 20 set of campaigns that you, that are no brainer to you and you can templatize these very quickly um, mm-hmm. by using something like praise you can also like pull information quite quickly from other systems to you know um, to flesh this out very very rapidly right which was not possible if you look 5 years ago and some of the tools i've used i i can't even compare because there is you know even it seems like the tools are also uh, you know from an from a different age uh, which doesn't allow mm-hmm. for all of these complications or for these complex logics right what have mm-hmm. what has been your to take a step back right like in within the crm world what has been your uh, experience so far and where do you see from from a tech perspective from just an as an industry perspective as well uh, i have seen personally very interesting things happen right like this crm getting more and more mm-hmm. on the surface because uh, because retention is becoming the key uh, you know there's mm-hmm. also of course a lot of data privacy things happening and because of mm-hmm. that acquisition is not getting weaker i would say but i would say it's more that people are realizing the importance of retention and engagement uh, some mm-hmm. companies are looking at it for the first time uh, some companies yeah. that i work with they are for the first time even having these discussions about how to measure retention and how to like what metrics should we be looking at only mm-hmm. after being 6 year in the business right and so mm-hmm. all of this is happening but i i would be keen to understand like how have you seen the industry grow from from when you started uh, and where do you see it going in the future as well yeah so i mean when when i started at the age it was already kind of everything was set in place right so we had the fundamentals and i think crm was always like treated right so we were always talking about life cycle flows we were not just talking about promotions so i think i've i've already had a very good good spot when i joined um what i definitely noticed is that the budgets are getting getting bigger right now for crm and also like the distribution between um between you know acquisition and retention is you know um getting shifted a bit towards towards retention for sure um because it's just a more efficient channel and i think um in many industries right now there're not that many acquisitions anymore to get and the tracking is getting worse right so the efficiency of of uh, acquisitions right now is 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 not great and it's not going to improve in the future um so i think that there's definitely going to change in budget um but i also feel like uh, everyone is getting more interested right now in crm specifically so back then for example everyone would looking at would be looking at orders for example like how many orders can we generate and then this would would determine if you're successful mm. in crm or not um then at some point it was like incremental orders and so on so it it always shifted a bit but it was always on the surface level always top line um right now i feel like everyone's a bit more interested in how we're doing things and how we can influence customers behavior and i think that's a very interesting part so people aren't always looking at um like can we drive more orders with this a specific campaign but rather they are looking at can we change user behavior to to in- increase um the lifetime value right so what do we need to do in order for, for you to you know um keep on ordering 
Uh, and also, what I also see is many companies right now, they want to be profitable. Uh, obviously, CRM is a good tool for it, but you also only have budget uh, in limited, you know, it's limit always. So um, hmm. you have to be efficient in what you're doing. And this, this leads to like many more data points, like, for example, the return probability. Like, if you're very likely to order anyways, like, why would I send you a voucher, right? So it leads to those efficiencies. And this also leads to, you know, working with so many different teams and management being very interested in the details on CRM. So I think back then it was all about orders. And everyone was fine. Like we did this campaign, we got like 1000 orders. Okay, perfect. Cool campaign. Um, but nowadays it's really like, okay, like have you been able to increase uh, the lifetime value, for example, and it's, it's, it's way more detailed. Everyone's getting more interested in what we're doing. Um, which is good and bad, right? I think it's always cool that they're interested in what we're doing, but it also gives us in a position where we have to educate everyone. Uh, maybe that's like a CRM onboarding topic again, uh, or like what we're actually doing, because no one really understands what we're doing because we're doing so much, I feel like. Yeah, uh, there's also this leadership question, right? Because I, I think you're on the spot, by the way, like with this getting more attention and there's more deeper level analysis that's happening i for sure when i started i remember like crm was mostly about how much revenue did you generate i i think at yeah. some point we were not even looking at any other metric even if we were a subscription app we were yeah. not looking at any other metric but revenue that we generated in the 10 in 10 weeks out of those users right and yeah. that has come Complete, that has become very different now. For instance, I don't see anyone who, I mean, of course, that's one of the key metrics that they're looking at, but then also there's a lot of buy-in from leadership to look at engagement, retention, and uh, not only driving it through product, because I feel in some subscription spaces or in most spaces, right, like apps have become so popular that there's mm -hmm. competition everywhere. So you're not yeah. the substantial gains you're going to get out of uh, anything is, in my opinion, CRM or retention and building on that, right? Otherwise, you're yeah. just sort of never compounding, and compounding is yeah. like the only magic known to to humankind, right? So I, I yeah. feel that's a, that's definitely a focus that's changing. Yeah. What has been your? What is one bet that you feel is something that you completely? Uh, feel strongly about uh, for instance you think that okay within CRM th this is definitely something people need to be focusing so much on uh, but you don't see that happening or you don't still see that coming and but you are you would place a bet on coming right like so what's your prediction um, yeah. for CRM and sorry to put you on the spot but <laughs> if you have anything uh, I'd be keen to know your thoughts yeah. and AI so answers I think that... are not allowed by the way <laughs> AI answers are not allowed. Okay, I have to, I have to rethink. <laughs> no, because my first take would have been like, okay, AI is going to, you know, uh, going to make our life different and it's not going to replace us, but it's going to make it more efficient. Um, so just while you, one answer. While you think about that answer, because I just cut off one answer from your, uh, from your options, uh, I can speak a bit about like how AI has actually, you know, one, one thing that I've been noticing is that of course, there was a lot of buzz in the industry and there is yeah. a lot of buzz for good reasons, right? Um, but AI changes so many things also at a ground level on how we work and like working efficiencies that it's uh, it's a no-brainer that it's going to like sort of change, right? Uh, be it people who uh, just your tendency to be more creative, for instance, uh, you know, it raises the bar to be creative. You can, you can no longer 
send a message that doesn't seem human or that seems very static uh, at ground level. But then this also changes so many of your working efficiencies. For instance, how you communicate with an engineer, yeah. with your content teams, uh, with the product teams. I, I think the, uh, the options are endless and uh, I'm yet to see people using it very uh, clearly or with very clear and strong use cases. But I have to say with like a few smaller companies we've been experimenting with, like how we can use it in a more systematic way for CRM. And it's it's been very interesting, you know, and uh, not to steal your answer, by the way, but uh, mm-hmm. I just wanted to give you some time to think of another, another <laughs> answer. Uh, if you have. Yeah, you gave me enough time. Actually, I thought about something. Uh, let's okay. talk about WhatsApp. So what's, right now, WhatsApp is a big topic in CRM as well. Like having those communications where, you know, it's like, like essentially from both sides, right? Um, so like you, like for everyone that doesn't know, like you have the option right now to have like a, like a business account in WhatsApp. People can sign up for WhatsApp and then essentially you would have a chat with the brand. You could ask questions, uh, you can use it for customer service, but you can also use it for promotions. So you can proactively send something, but people can also ask questions. Um, make choices on something. In our example, it would be something like give me a recommendation what I should eat for dinner, for example. Uh, and then it would show you some options. Um, it is quite expensive because you have to pay for all the messages that you're sending. Um, so uh, I think that it's a cool tool, but I don't think it's going to kick off. I don't think that WhatsApp is going to be the channel of the future. Uh, I think that uh, still the push notifications and email are going to be you know, the, the big driver for CRM. Um, I think that um, WhatsApp, for example, is, is quite interesting to, you know, think about and to, you know, use maybe like in general chatbots, maybe uh, if you can make that re- uh, generalization. But I don't think that for CRM, it's it's a it's a huge tool. I don't think that uh, people spend too much time with the brand. They don't want uh, the brand in their WhatsApp context ne- nearby their friends. Right. So no one wants to have this close relationship because WhatsApp, WhatsApp feels quite, quite personal. So I don't think that this is going to kick off. Like still, it's worth testing, obviously. Maybe it works in your industry. Uh, we're also doing some tests right now, of course. But uh, yeah, I, I just don't think it's going to kick off. <laughs> oh, that's actually a good answer. That's one that uh, <laughs> is very rare. And also, I feel, by the way, on that, uh, there's there are so many uh, cases where, for example, I'm, I can imagine geography playing a big role here, right? Yeah. Like also because in India, I remember SMS marketing is the thing because you know, mm. you don't have... Uh, or you'd never used to have decent internet connection everywhere. So people used to actually refrain from sending push notifications because a lot of people never had internet connectivity and then they would just like sort of send 10 at once when you wanted it to be more instantaneous. So SMS marketing has been like always very huge in India, almost to a point that that it's a problem. Um, But WhatsApp, I can see it being a bit similar also for, for like Asian markets where there is let's say a bit less uh, nuances to you know to privacy and to not keeping brands um, yeah. separate or strictly separate but also convenience for older generations i think like people who have adopted to whatsapp one thing i always notice is that they find it very difficult to to chat with uh, with customer mm-hmm. bots or ch- you know with yeah. chat bots on the website uh, yeah. for them i can see it being a bit easier as well but i i agree like it's not as Maybe it's not as big as um, what it looks like right now. And yeah. I clearly wouldn't want it to be in my inbox, uh, for sure. <laughs> like, I don't want I mean, it. I think from a company perspective, it's amazing, right? I mean, you are alongside all your friends and essentially you have a second app that you can use, right? You don't have to even use your own, own app. You can promote your own app so people can download it. So from a company perspective, it's amazing. 
in theory. But I think from a customer perspective, it's rare that you that you really feel that engaged with a brand or you feel that you get so much benefit from having it as a WhatsApp uh, contact. So yeah, I mean, we're going to see. Maybe, you know, they're going to put me wrong. Who knows? But yeah. <laughs> that would be very interesting. One last note before we... Uh before we depart is there's also like the these ai chatbots and i recently was watching a talk from uh, i think it was like stanford's cs50 course or something where, where they were talking about how chatbots you know the use cases of chatbots uh, of ai in chatbots and how you can train an ai model only on your website to be able to answer uh, questions way more efficiently mm-hmm. and uh, now of course with like all the power that uh, that GPT has, you can also make it very, you know, conversation so that people yes. don't realize that it's not a human talking to you. But the point is like, they mentioned that it might be good in a discovery phase uh, where, for instance, mm-hmm. what should I eat for dinner? Can you give me some recommendations? It's fun. When you're in that fun frame of mind, you can still work with this. But imagine talking to a chatbot who you know is not human for a refund or for something that you had just a mm-hmm. problem with, right? And their idea, and I agree, was that you wouldn't want to talk to an AI, you knowing that it's a chatbot or just an AI responding to your frustration would just make you even more mad as a customer, right? And yeah. it doesn't give you the best experience. Uh, but that's one thing that I felt was uh, was quite spot on with these chatbot messaging as well. And the need for just being more human with your conversations really uh yeah i think this is going to be more value in human created content than ai generated content in some cases uh and i found that to be quite interesting um yeah but yeah any any departing thoughts tobias it was uh, toby i should call uh is was a very great uh conversation i really enjoyed it uh but if you want to add any departing thoughts this is your time man no uh thank you so far so much for inviting me i had a wonderful time with you uh, as always talking to you this time it's even recorded so other people can also enjoy it um yeah if anyone's like interested has some questions uh you can also feel free to reach out on linkedin and uh yeah we're also hiring by the way so <laughs> maybe just uh, just a shameless plug at the end <laughs> perfect uh, okay then i'll add the linkedin uh, profile to the to the show notes and people can reach out to toby if they're looking for a job or if they want to have uh, good conversations about yeah, everyone at once <laughs> cool thank you so much toby thank you karan